It's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. We have quite the treat for you today. Uh, Roger, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast today. Um, it's a treat so, to be here. And thank you for holding up uh, leaders who are, are committed to godly virtues. I'm thankful for what you're doing. Oh, excellent. Well, our first question today is, what is your status on vaccinations? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like to, you know, we like to, uh, you know, dig deep, but we're not going to dig that deep today, Roger. Well, I'll tell you, my, my daughter uh, was with me uh, almost two years ago in China, November uh, of... Uh, uh, 2019, and uh, she got sick three days later, and was probably the first person in America to have uh, of um, uh, the uh, coronavirus uh, for long term. So she'd been in bed for nearly two years because of of uh, long term problems with coronavirus. So oh, no. I'm pretty strong on taking all the protections we can get because I see the damage it can do to even younger people. She's 27, so it's been. Uh, uh, really tough for her. She's recovering. She's under the care of Mayo Clinic, and we're encouraged, but um, but it's a journey. So, well, yes, to answer your question, I'm very supportive of every precaution you can take. This stuff is bad. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing, and and uh, I might also have some resources that we could talk about offline, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, just to have a couple different uh, um, disciples that I'm friends with in the Chicagoland area that uh, have been leading um, remote prayer calls for probably like the last year and a half. And they've seen like limbs grow out. They've seen cancer be healed. They've just seen just wild. Wow. I mean, cause at the end of the day, it's not them. It's Jesus Christ who continues to, you know, back 2000 years ago, his whole MO was deliverance and healing and yeah. blowing people's minds. And so if that's the confidence that we have to lean into Christ, to be able to allow him to, you know, do the healings that he does, but ultimately it just needs, you know, people who are sold out for the gospel and willing to just open themselves up to be a vehicle for grace in that way. But so, yeah, so we'll continue to uh, pray for your daughter. What's her name, by the way? Her name's Madison. And we got, hundreds of people praying for her and that's what's made all the difference so so we're encouraged where she's headed but it's just a long journey awesome well in jesus's name i proclaim a full bill of health for madison mm. and uh, lord thank you for being with us again as always so roger you know i kind of started with a joke just because you know i'd like to keep things loose and, and get the guests <laughs> being able to be free flowing uh and uh so Ultimately, uh, the first question out of the gate usually is, who are you? So our listeners can kind of get a sense as to, you know, what you've done in your career. Can you kind of give us the way that the world sees you through some of your titles? Yeah, through my titles, uh, they see me as uh, president of Bellhaven University in Jackson, Mississippi, a school of about 4,000 students, um, uh, ranging from uh, undergraduate all the way through doctoral programs, uh, about a, about a thousand traditional students on campus and then most of the rest are online and um, uh, we are a Christian school very committed to uh, teaching from a foundation of faith in all that we do 
And, um, and that makes for a different environment for higher education, which we really cherish and enjoy. But I've been a university president for 33 years. And uh, before that was with the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization, which is a Billy Graham related um, uh, ministry. And uh, in my earliest days was a pastor. So uh, 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 service to the kingdom has always been the priority of my life. You can do it in a lot of different ways. You can do it from any job. You don't have to be in a in a full-time, what we call a full-time ministry position to serve the Lord full-time. But uh, I've been privileged to have these opportunities for leadership and um, and reach, and, and God's blessed. Awesome. I was uh, reading your bio, getting prepped, and some of the other things that I loved about your bio is that uh, your wife, uh, she works at Bellhaven, and your children have also graduated from Bellhaven, correct? Yeah, uh, Mary Lou teaches uh, literature at uh, at Bellhaven. Her specialties are in uh, ancient Greek literature and Shakespeare and American lit, and uh, and she loves it, and the students love her. And uh, then both kids went to Bellhaven, and and my daughter Madison, we talked about, did her master's in leadership at Bellhaven. My son did a uh, master's in library science from um, uh, University of Alabama. So, uh, uh, and I had the privilege, uh, they both graduated, they're a year apart, but they both graduated the same year. And uh, I had a commencement speaker scheduled uh, to come because I wanted somebody special. So I had the former governor scheduled who we really admire, who's done a lot of significant work uh, in Mississippi, especially in racial reconciliation. So I wanted him to speak it. And he had an accident and couldn't speak uh, and come. And so I did the commencement. So it was kind of a treat, um, special to do the commencement where my kids were graduating and for Mary Lou and for me to hand them their diplomas together. Not, not many families get that kind of opportunity. So it was a special moment forever. Well, I'm sure you're, I mean, I could just see how you're a proud papa bear. So that, <laughs> that is awesome. Uh, being dad's a lot harder job than being college president. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that day you were both. Um, so, exactly. So, uh, yeah, then the other thing that I thought that was awesome about your background is there was two things. One, that you're a PhD. So thank you, doctor, for being here on the show and forgive my formalities of just calling you my first name. But then the the other thing is that you are a third time, uh, it's a third running within your family of college presidents, correct? Yeah. Yeah, it is unusual. We, there, there, there are a number of second generation college presidents, but I don't know of another third generation, but my grandfather and my father both uh, presidents of colleges in their days. And, um, you know, uh, my grandfather always said it's the greatest job in the world as long as you can pay the bills. And um, <laughs> and that's probably true because, uh, you know, I get to work with energetic, uh, idealistic uh, young people. I get to work with uh, faculty who are experts in their field and very committed to their calling to invest in in the next generation. Uh, I get to essentially run my own little city on the campus and uh, own my own football team. So it doesn't get any better than that. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing in that way. Curious, how many siblings did you have? Um, uh, I have two other, two other brothers. Yeah. One, two other uh, brothers. Did either one, of them uh, become go into higher education? Uh, one teaches in higher ed, and, and my other brother writes, uh, is an uh, expert in uh, marriage and family relationships, writes a lot of books, Les and Leslie Parrott. He writes with his wife, uh, Leslie, at times, and they're uh, 
they're pretty well known within the church circles of uh, for their work in um, uh, in marriage uh, and family. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, uh, thank you for sharing in that way, and yeah. So, congratulations on on keeping that legacy running. And it looks like, you know, both Madison and your son have a, a, a an opportunity to maybe make. Yeah, I don't know if, if it's a calling for either one of them, but we'll, we'll see. God, God has surprises at times. Amen. Amen. So, uh, so you, so we talked about your journey and we talked about your kind of uh, your background and some of the, the notches on, on the CV there for you. Um, can you, Tell us, you know, I'm just curious. I mean, obviously you've been at this for some time at Bellhaven. Why should a student consider attending Bellhaven University? Well, I tell you, if they want to consider, this is the single best time to come because we got a couple of things going on that are pretty remarkable right now. You know, come COVID, on, people, let's go. I love let's the go. Energy. Yeah, come let's on, go. let's go. <laughs> but yeah, and, and uh, you know, and, and and it's you know, we tend to focus on traditional students, but again, we got a lot of. Uh, master's degrees, people working online from all over the country, and doctoral programs in business administration. And I've got a, a new master's, which is really cool, in uh, in start, how to start up your business. And it's an entrepreneurship, and, it, and you come with your idea, and we lead you through the process of how to build your business, not, not a business in theory, the business you have dreamed of. So we do that, and it's an online degree. But for traditional students, a couple of things going on right now that are pretty remarkable. When COVID hit, I thought, man, these students are going to be so discouraged and all that's going on and all the limitations. We've got to do something. And so we're giving all of our students a free master's degree after they graduate, and uh, which is really a great opportunity wow. for them. So it's a fifteen dollars to $25,000 value. And, you know, when you look at higher ed and, and all the borrowing you reports you hear about, most of that is in graduate education. Uh, and so um, it really is a great chance for them to get a master's degree. And it, because it's online, they don't have to stay in Jackson to do it. Uh, this is for traditional students who come through the regular living on campus type of program. But, um, uh, you know, it really is a great opportunity because they can do it either right after they graduate. They can do it five years later, 10, 20 years later. We don't care. So I, I met with a student the other day. She's going to be uh, she's pre-med. She's going on to medical school. And I said, well, when you get done with medical school, you know, take a, uh, an MBA or take a master's in leadership uh, or take a, an education degree. And it'll just going to enhance what you can do in your career. And so we've got that going on. Second thing we've got going on, which is pretty remarkable, is that I'm, I think the students need to be more broadly prepared for the future. And so we're offering our students who come as, as freshmen the opportunity that if they will double major uh, and that double major pushes them into their fifth year of study, that they'll be tuition free the fifth year, which is another really big financial benefit for it. But, um, you know, Bellhaven is unique. We, we're really well known in the arts. So we're one of the top uh, um, 35 schools in America in the arts uh, with the only Christian school working at the top level in the arts, but STEM were strong uh, uh, across the whole arena. And it's because of faculty who are deeply committed, want to serve. You know, when you go to a state university, most people don't understand their freshman sophomore classes are going to be taught by teaching assistants. And teaching assistants are students who graduated with me a couple of years ago. They've gone on someplace to get a, a doctorate 
and part of that requirement is that they teach. And um, so that's who their faculty are going to be. When you come to Bellhaven, faculty are going to be strongly committed Christians, every single one of them, who are experienced in the teaching, have PhDs, are really engaged in helping students succeed. So it's a it's a different kind of education. It really is. I, you know, I, and most people assume a private college you can't afford it. I can show you. I've got a thing on on our website. Uh, it's called uh, the real cost of of college. Um, seventeen page paper I wrote on on the cost of college because people don't understand the question. But I can show people how they can save $60,000 by coming to Bellhaven versus going to a state university that they assume is cheaper. And uh, it's not. And uh, if people will do the math and do the study, they can get a Christian education for a cheaper price and uh, and have this, the kind of grounding they need to stand up to the tests of life and the storms of life that will come to everybody. It's not if they're going to come, it's when they're going to come. And uh, that's really what we're about, is providing that kind of education for our students. And it's in a lovely, charming uh, a campus in a historic neighborhood in the capital city of, of Jackson, Mississippi. So we have students come from all over the country. I know you're in Chicago and and they love coming because it's 70 degrees today and you're probably shoveling snow. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, that is incredible. Thank you for the rundown on that too. So many innovative things that uh, you had listed there. And this kind of is a, a nice little segue to my next point. So you've actually, you're in the process of publishing, not your first, but your second book, which is incredible. And the title of this book is Opportunity Leadership. Um, I, I'm hoping that you can kind of give us a little bit of like the backdrop and, and, and just kind of like the summary of what it is so our listeners can better understand uh, the book that you're right about to publish. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. The book uh, um, is just coming out now and it is called Opportunity Leadership. Stop planning and start getting results. And uh, I've become convinced, especially in the Christian world, that we have emulated the model of planning that the corporate world does, and we have limited what God wants to do in our lives because we're so committed to our plans. And so we develop these plans for the future. Now, I'm not talking about operational planning of what we know we need to do. I know we're going to teach English. I know we're going to play football. I know we're going to feed students in a dining commons. So we plan those things very well. What we don't plan is the future where we're going to go, what kind of degrees we're going to offer in the long-term future, how many students we're going to have. We don't plan destinations. We trust God for those. And so it is a very unique way because I started talking with leaders because it's been my experience that the most significant things in my life came that were opportunities. They weren't planned. And leader after leader after leader has said the exact same thing. And the bottom line is long-range planning doesn't work. And, uh, you know, the softball uh, example for that is COVID. Nobody had COVID in their plan. And the people who are still trying to to achieve their predetermined direction through COVID are really suffering in their organizations. Those who were flexible, those who changed, those who were willing to adjust with it have done fairly well during COVID um, organizationally. And so, you know, the planning doesn't work. We know it doesn't work. 
But leaders are deeply committed to it because we think that's what we have to do. We don't have to do, and that's what the book is a call for. It's a definition of a new model of leadership. Um, and, uh, you know, opportunity leadership to me is really waiting in anticipation for God-given opportunities, not the ones we generate, but God-given opportunities that mesh just seamlessly with our mission and our calling and our gifting and our capacity. And then they take us to destinations that God wants us to go to. And, and that's really what, we, what we're uh, focusing on in the book. And the model I use, which details in the book quite a bit, is, is that of a sailboat versus a powerboat. And a, a sailboat uh, prepared to catch the wind of God and goes wherever God's wind takes us will outdistance a powerboat every single time. But in the Christian world, we've gotten so good at building powerboats and we're pretty proud of them. And we get in them and we go where we think God wants us to go, but we ignore the wind. And the wind of God may be trying to direct us another day, way, but we don't even see it because we're so focused on the power of our powerboat and where we think God wants us to go. But a powerboat will eventually run out of gas, and a sailboat, no matter how worn out it is, can go farther every single time. And so that's kind of the model of the difference between a powerboat and a sailboat. And, um, and planning, long-term planning, just really doesn't work. And so we've lived this out at Bellhaven for nearly 20 years now. It was a slow progression to kind of get into this. I was a traditional planner before this. I did planning just like everybody else did. I had the blue ribbon committees and they worked for 18 months and they came back with a plan and the whole thing. I, I've done all that and it doesn't work. And uh, so we have gotten free from that. And so now, you know, either uh, maybe I'm interviewing a new faculty member or a television uh, crew uh, looking at the campus will say, well, I say, well, Dr. Parrott, what, what do you expect Bellhaven to be in 10 years from now? And my answer is, I don't know. I really don't know. But what I do know is the best plan we could come up with around conference tables drawn out on whiteboards is pale in comparison to the plan that God has for us. So we want to be sensitive to his plan and his direction, wherever that leads, that may be more students, it may be less students, it may be different kinds of programs, it may be the same ones we're doing now. I don't know. But we're going to trust God for those destinations rather than trying to predict them ourselves. And in doing so, we create a culture where people are very sensitive to God's wind blowing. And uh, when it blows gently, we feel it and we respond to it. Most people can't because they're so focused on their plan, they can't even see and feel the wind. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> well, thank you for sharing that and giving us the backdrop, a summary on it. As I was telling you, I had what I thought was my best laid plans this morning to get up at six in the morning and work out before work. And then God was like, no, let's go ahead and push that up a little bit to, um, to, to <laughs> like in the, the four thirty range to be able to have just an amazing prayer session this morning. And, mm -hmm. and I find that, you know, it's like thinking about, you know, just the, the many different like stories and, and real, I mean, ultimately histories of saints lives that I've read or watched movies on. It's like, that is the focus of what we're trying to accomplish in the Christian life of just radical dependence on God. 
Well, and that's it. it. It takes a complete and total dependence on God to rely on opportunities rather than our plans. And, you know, as Christians, we all say we want to do that. We all say we want to we want to be we want to do whatever God wants us to do. But we plan like he's not in the mix and we plan as if it's all our responsibility. And it's really not. It is God's direction. And there have been times I've sat in my office at the beginning of a semester and wondered, what in the world are we going to do this semester? I really don't know what's going to be new. I mean, I know what we've got to do to, to operate what we already know, but what's going to be new? I don't know. And and every time I've done that within, you know, a couple of months, kind of the plate's been full. I mean, just God brings us stuff, one thing on top of another, and uh, they're never expected. And uh, when we're open to opportunities, God will bring them. And, and I think that's that's really the difference. I mean, I had a group of international leaders come in several years ago to kind of look at what we were doing with this. And we had a, had a three-day kind of retreat to look at, at this whole kind. This is before I'd even defined it as opportunity leadership. Now it's kind of got a definition and, and it's a model of leadership uh, that I'm proposing. But, uh, uh, you know, we were in that session and one of the guys from South America, at the end of the session, it was one of those times where you – you work several days together and you kind of run out of everything to talk about. And uh, we were kind of in the room and it was quiet and, and everybody kind of said everything. And then he said something that really jarred me and kind of said it to the room, kind of said it to me, kind of said it to himself more than anything. He said, you really expect God to bring you opportunities, don't you? Mm. And it really hit me. Yes, I do. I really expect them to come. And I think that's the challenge of most Christian leaders. They don't expect God to bring opportunities. They think we have to create the opportunities. And so when we expect God to bring them and we're sensitive when they come, it's amazing how they will come. Um, and they come when you least expect them. But the key is you got to line them up with what your gifting is and what your capacity is and what your calling is and make sure I've got a chapter in the book called Stay in Your Lane. you got to stay in your lane of what you're good at. And uh, uh, when you know what your mission is, then you know which of those opportunities are right and which are wrong. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riveralightchicago.org. Again, riveralightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Awesome. Well, I love that. So earlier, just to connect some of the dots, I had asked you, like, why should someone join Bellhaven? You threw out a bunch of different innovative stuff. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, I mean, I guess I'm putting you to <laughs> pressing you to show us kind of a little bit of like actually walking the walk. So what have been some of the opportunity leaderships that you've capitalized, like God-given opportunities that you've capitalized at Bellhaven that have been working out beyond your expectations? Well, <clears throat> one is I, I, three years ago, I had a phone call from a friend. Um, now, we've been into opportunity leadership for quite some time, so we had built a culture where we could respond rapidly. But I had a phone call from a friend on, on a July 1 
saying that he had a connection in China who was interested in offering an MBA in China. And would we be interested in doing that? On August 1, we signed a contract. On September 1, we started writing curriculum. And on October 1, we enrolled the first student. So that was four months from the first phone call to implementation. And most schools can't uh, change a light bulb in four, four months. Uh, you know, they got to have two committee meetings to decide what the wattage ought to be. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, that that's one of those opportunities. And so, yeah, we've been working in China. Uh, I mentioned this um, uh, master's degree we have uh, in entrepreneurship and startup. That's done with Global Silicon Valley, uh, which is the a company that is the largest boot camp in the, in the world for entrepreneurs. Um, we do that in partnership with them. Um, you know, we've had, uh, we've had uh, uh, opportunities come by the people who come. You know, I, I had an instance come a number of years ago with a, with a uh, guy who taught in creative writing, and he was wonderful, but he just really didn't mesh with the English department. And so they couldn't, you know, it, it just wasn't right fit. And uh, so we said, well, we can either let him go or we can, uh, we can not do the creative writing. We're just kind of do it as a sidecar or we can create a whole creative writing department. Well, we decided to create a creative writing department and do that separate. Well, one of our, our writers who came through that program, who is now very well known, uh, is Angie Thomas, who wrote The Hate You Give. And um, and uh, she has three books on the New York Times bestseller list right now and three movies uh, of uh, all of her, her books. Well, that came from an opportunity just because uh, we hired the right person in the right time in the right place. Um, you know, opportunities come, I think, it's not a matter of that you see all the results at the beginning. It's that you take the steps God gives, you walk in the lights that you have, and then you see where God leads. And part of that is, also knowing when something doesn't work and opportunities are not just starting things. Opportunities are also stopping things. And, uh, you know, in the Christian world, we're not very good at stopping things. We, uh, we, when we do something new, we say, well, God led us to do this. And so we persevere and make it work no matter what. And if it doesn't work, we usually don't stop it. We do something else on top of it and make both ineffective. And uh, I think that's been one of the pleasures I've had with my board and my faculty and staff is we understand there are times to stop things. And those can be opportunities as well. Uh, we used to have a number of branch campuses across the Southeast, but that market and students are comfortable with online now. They don't want to go into an evening program in, at a uh, location. And so we've closed all those down. I, I would count that as an opportunity as well. So it goes both ways. And um, it's just being sensitive to those moments when God is bringing something into our path. And, and we look at a lot of stuff that, that we don't do. Um, and, and we, again, we take it back to that core question. What are, what's our mission? What's our calling? What's our gifting? What's our capacity? If it doesn't fit within that, we say, you know, just because it looks good doesn't mean it's something God would have us for to do. It's got to really mesh together well. Well, I'm Roger. I'm excited to read this book. I'm, I'm bummed. How can one get their hands on this? Uh, it's available on Amazon and uh, or from Moody Publishers. And um, um, yeah, we're um, excited to have it have it released. Uh, there's a website 
uh, opportunityleadership.com and you can go to that as well and you can find out more about the book some um, some videos and some other kind of material uh, that uh, that uh, talks more about the book and also uh, where to get it and uh, some reviews I've had some nice reviews from people who've really been uh, uh, kind and significant one uh, person who pre read it before it was released is um, uh, Jim Morgan uh, president who was president of Krispy Kreme who turned that company around a wonderful strong uh, Christian guy and and he was nice he said I wish I would have had this is the manual for how to do it I wish I would have had this uh, to go through in my company now that's a, a secular company led by a Christian person but a secular company but he found it very applicable for that uh, so it's not just for it's yeah it can work for churches and for ministries, but it also can work for any Christian. Uh, but it does take a theological commitment. It's I, I'm not sure if you're not uh, grounded in, in faith in God that that you can really live by opportunities because uh, you got to be able to trust God completely, trust God in order to to live this way. But but, but I tell you, Christopher, it's the most significant decision I ever made in my 33 years as a president, is to move into this, what now I call opportunity leadership. It's also the most freeing decision I've made because the pressure's not on me. Pressure's on God to get this done. And um, and if he gets it done, great. If he doesn't want us to do it that way, we're going to do what he wants us to do. So it's very freeing, but it's also kind of scary at times because there is no plan B. And when we, when we kind of started this, you know, I'd talk about it and I'd talk about the theological reasons and, and kind of preach it. And, and people would pull me aside and say, well, that, you know, that's really great. And yeah, that's what we ought to do. But if it doesn't work, what are we really going to do? And, uh, you know, there is no plan B. This is the plan. The plan is there's no plan. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. I rebuked that. And she said, it's going to work out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is going to work out. But uh, and sometimes you, you just wonder what God has next, but he always surprised. And it's really wonderful because you get surprised by what God has in mind. And you know that only he can do it. And that, I think, especially with your focus of this podcast on, on, on virtuous leadership, that really makes us humble before the Lord. And leaders need humility. And uh, to have that confidence that God's doing it, you can't stand up and take credit for it when you've said, I'm going to trust God for opportunities. You've got to give God all the credit for it. So you gave me some examples of it working in an earthly standpoint. Um, can you give me some, some, uh, some of the foundational scripture verses that, that also kind of like convicted your heart to go in this direction? Well, you know, there, there, there are lots of things through Scripture that kind of point to this. Um, of course, the one I, I love the most probably is Isaiah 55. Uh, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And uh, God's thoughts are so much higher than my, our thoughts. It says, um, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, um, you know, there are other scriptures like that. Um, you know, First uh, Corinthians 2, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Not what we've prepared, but what God has prepared. So we see this through scripture in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, at the, at the, in, in the book, um, the last chapter, 
is uh, is kind of a really interesting snapshot of the whole idea, and it's and it's the I, I kind of break down the the story of David and Goliath, and uh, in that last chapter of the book, and uh, David was an opportunity leadership guy. He really was. I mean, this was a this was a shepherd guy who his brothers were off fighting the war, and his dad said, you know, take some provisions and some food and some stuff to your brothers. So he goes to the battle uh, with this stuff for his brothers. His brothers kind of make fun of him that he's there. And, um, you know, nobody would fight um, Goliath because in those days they would often have one from each army fight. And then instead of everybody getting killed, they would just put two together. And so that's what it was in an ancient battle. And, uh, and nobody would fight Goliath. And, you know, David volunteers. So here's David, who did not go for that purpose, but he acted fast, which is critical in opportunity leadership. You got to act fast. Um, you know, one of my chapters is called "Speed Wins," and uh, um, speed does win nearly always. So you've got to be able to go fast. He capitalized on his strengths. I mean, David was a shepherd. He was a master with a sling. Uh, Saul tried to put his armor on him. And he said, no, that's not me. That's not what I do. I'm not going to do that just because that's what's expected. If I'm going to be a warrior, I'm just going to go with my sling. So he went with his sling. And then he he didn't expect to succeed the, succeed the first time, which is very much an opportunity leadership. We don't succeed on the first thing. God doesn't say, I want you to do this, and it just works automatically. You know, part of this whole process is being willing to adjust and change and adapt as it goes along. And so, and so David did that. He took five stones with him. I don't think he expected to hit, hit Goliath the first one. It happened to hit, and and he's thankful for it, I'm sure. But 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 he had four of the shots with him uh, past that one. Uh, and then he was supported by others. I mean, can you imagine this guy going out into this valley with the armies on two sides and his armies cheering for him? But he's out there alone. And that's what leaders have to do in opportunity leadership. You got to get out front. You got to be willing to lead. Uh, stop planning. Start leading to getting results is the title of the book. So get out front and lead. And David did that. But then the main thing is he knew God was on his side. And he had absolute confidence that God would prevail in this battle. And, you know, a lot of people... You know, love the story of David and Goliath, and and they always say, well, it's such a great story because it, it shows the little guy can beat the big guy. To me, that is not the point of the story. The point of the story to me is that Goliath never had a chance because God was on David's side. And I think leaders who will lead with integrity and courage and get out front and lead with speed and respond to opportunities and, and do it in a way that builds around their gifts, those kind of leaders, their giants don't have a chance. You can beat those giants because God's on your side. And that's the kind of encouragement I want to give to leaders is to, is to be like David uh, when he fought Goliath. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, the thing that's just burning on my lips about that story, too, is like he had a lifestyle of, of opportunity leadership, too. I mean, he was the ruddy one that was no one, no one expected him to be king at all. And, exactly. Uh, and, Very much and so. so, and he, you know, being a shepherd, obviously spent a lot of probably time in solitude with animals and being able to have that space also 
to be mm. able to free himself in order to pray and to be with God and to hear, you know, right. the, the, you know, one of God's nicknames is the word made flesh or the word, <laughs> like right. being able to hear, like it's preposterous to think of God as the word and not to believe that God wants to speak to us. Right. And so it's like the foundational stone of the fact that David was a prophet, which we know, but specifically that he heard God's voice and was able to be with the word to, to hear that whisper and to hear, see those opportunities. Like you said, it was just that you were meeting with a guy who specifically said something, you're in a board meeting and you're like, boom, right yeah. there, there it is. You know, like, it's like sometimes that like God puts these people in our lives and they speak, they, they're saying something, maybe they're not even realizing the, the anointing that's on those words. And mm. then it cuts to your heart so intensely and you know like that is the holy spirit that is what i'm supposed to be doing specifically i was outside of the diocese of joliet with my brother and we were we were going to a meeting to talk about kind of replanning a ministry and we were ultimately changing the name of the ministry from what my father had started in the 80s to more of a, a, uh, a collaboration of all the different ministries to Catholic sports camps. Mm-hmm. And kind of both of us were like, we knew it was the right thing to do, but we were somber on the basis that we were like, kind of like taking away what our father had started, you know, 20 years prior that we had restarted. And I was like, Rick, you know, like we kind of like, we're just saying like, Rick, like, you know, this is what's happening. And I'm feeling kind of sad about it. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Chris, don't worry about that because what's going to happen is ultimately we're going to name your company that you're starting spirit consulting. Cause it used to be spirit mm-hmm. hockey camp. And he's like, it's going to be spirit consulting. You're going to do this. We're going to be consulting. Eventually I'm going to join you. We're going to be consulting together. I was like, it was like, honestly, like my brother wasn't even anywhere near there. It was like, God <laughs> specifically was like this, this, that's great. this Christopher. Yeah. So when you say this stuff, I'm like, yeah, yeah it's so clear great. to me that this is, this is the way I love it. And, and I also love the fact that you break down like the tangible plan. I'm like, here are the components that we, you need to specifically keep yourself in alignment. Cause obviously we, you know, with that, you could go all over the place, but it, at the end of the day, there has to be a framework to see how those things come into your life and have that synergy in order to pull that together. What God has already been setting the foundation to be even more successful Yeah, very much so. There has to be. You can't just you can't just say, well, that's a great idea. I'm going to go figure out how to do it. I mean, that's kind of what I had to do because nobody had written much on this. But, you know, in the book, I I outlined six uh, traits that opportunity leaders need to develop that are different from normal leadership. And so they need to develop those six traits. And then I outlined six characteristics of of, uh, opportunity leadership ministries, how to build the culture, how to build the the organization, how to bring the people along with what you're doing, because this is not something you can do alone. You know, I really encourage, um, you know, leaders who want to do this to have their team, uh, uh, re, you know, either summarize it for them or have them read the book or their board together or something, because everybody has to be bought in on this. This is not uh, something you can do as a lone ranger or people 
people won't will give up on you because in leadership we expect leaders to bring a plan uh you know we expect it to be like moses come down from the mountain and give us the plan and um and we have become accustomed to that and leaders who don't do that are suspect unless you show them clearly what you're doing in place of that and uh so that's kind of what i'm really hoping will help leaders is as exactly as you say to have a real framework on how to make this work not just make it a theoretical uh idea or a uh, or a spiritual principle it's much more than that awesome so well thank you so much for sharing about this and again i'm just looking forward to the ways that it's going to uh bless our audience as well and so please check that out on amazon to pick that up for opportunity leadership that is exciting um, so thank you, Roger. Uh, you know, part of this, our focus here within the Virtuous Heroes podcast is oftentimes like when we're talking about virtue, we kind of have to set that that first stone on like, you know, what what have been some of your own struggles? You know, now you're you're a university president, you're a two-time author, you've just done all you've been a pastor, all these amazing leadership things that many people, even just one of them, aspire to, Roger. And I think sometimes maybe people see that as like, well, that's unattainable. How can I ever have that type of anointing and blessing in my life? Can you maybe take us back to, you know, what has your journey been like for specific, um, you know, vices that you had to overcome to be the leader that you are today? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're talking vices, my doctor would say it's Diet Coke. I'm totally addicted. So. <laughs> <laughs> As he calls that my only real vice, and, and it is. Uh, I can't stop drinking them. But, uh, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when I started early on, I mean, first of all, I didn't plan to be a college president. In fact, I planned to be anything but that. But, uh, you know, I was, I, I remember in college, uh, I was asked to go be pastor of a little church in my, my, who's now my wife, my fiance at the time, we'd go down there on Sunday and they had 15, 20 people and I'd stand up and preach and I was scared to death. And, um, you know, I remember my first sermon, my dad had been a pastor. And so I went to his files and, um, and I to find an outline because I didn't even know what to do. And I found a sermon he had called 14 points on temptation. I thought, well, that'll take a long time, 14 points. And <laughs> When I started, seven and a half minutes after I started, I was done. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short one today. Let's yeah, go. so the ministry chair, the music team. Let's exactly. go. Exactly. Uh, so you know, um, I I think I I did not set out in this way. I think it's a slow progression of uh, of trying to get past the fears of your life in order to develop leadership gifts that can be used of God. And I was teasing my wife last night about something, and, and uh, I forget what it was, but some event, and I said, give me a topic in 25 minutes, I'm ready to go. And, um, and you know, that's kind of how I am, but that took years and years and years to develop, but it had to get over fears to do that. And it had to get confidence to do that. And it had to be a trusting of God to do that. But, you know, I, I think probably the the biggest, if you want to talk vices, which is an interesting way to describe it, uh, the, big, the biggest vice I see in leadership, Christian leadership especially, and secular as well, and it's one that I want to guard against every single day, and that's uh, ego. I think ego is an obnoxious megaphone. 
and people with ego um, uh, knock people over. Um, it's all about them. It's a focus on them. And I'm really committed to, to doing all I can in leadership. And, and it has progressed through the years to downplay um, my leadership role and to build up others around us. You know, uh, leaders get more than enough applause. I don't need anybody else to clap for me. You know, uh, I, I do something with our, our folks on campus where we honor their their anniversary of their service every five years. And we give them a, we give them a clock and the clocks get bigger the long that you've been there. But for some of our people, you bring up a, a housekeeper who's been there for five years and everybody applauds for her. I bet nobody's applauded for her in her life before. And that's terrific to lift her up and to let her know that her work is valuable and her work matters to who we are. And I tell my campus all the time, the most important person on this campus is not the president. The most important person is the plumber. Because if the plumbing doesn't work, we're out of business. We can't do anything. And so, you know, helping people keep it in perspective, and that keeps me in perspective. But I see leader after leader after leader crash, secular and ministry leaders, because of ego. And so that's something I want to check every single day at the door. That's not a one-time thing. That's a forever thing. And yeah, you can look at some of this stuff and say, well, you know, college president, books and, and whatever. It, but nothing's a straight line of success. And I think, you know, uh, I, I think there's a tendency to look at leaders who have gotten to a place of what we consider success and assume that, that somehow they had a, had a magic step ladder. And, and I don't think that's true at all. I think it's just... Uh, continual obedience to whatever God gives you at the time. And when you do that, God will put things in the path. But it, it's not a, it's not a, a, um, a clear, um, you know, growth pattern of success. I, I teach fundraising some, and, and uh, I always tell young fundraisers, I said, people like me are dangerous for you. We come in and we tell you stories about our million-dollar gifts, and you think we get them all the time, and we don't. We don't tell you about all the no's we get. We don't tell you about all the rejections. We don't tell you about all the, the thousands of calls we've made and came up empty. We don't tell you that part. We just tell you about the great success stories. And so when you're looking at success of leaders, I think any of us, don't just look at the big success stories. One of the things I do that helps me with this, Chris, which is a kind of an interesting, I'm really interested in history. But I read it, uh, mostly I listen to, I don't read, uh, uh, listen to on Audible, histories of significant leaders. And I think I've done a history of every U.S. president and lots of different leaders around the world through, through history and time. But the reason I listen to them is not to hear about the great things that they did. I know the great things that they did before I read the book. I want to hear about their struggles. I want to hear about when they failed. I want to hear about when they were overwhelmed. You know, when, when um, Lyndon Johnson was trying to pass um, the Civil Rights Act, um, he was so overwhelmed with all the pressure on him. He was in bed with the covers over his head and wanted to stay there. And his wife, Lady Bird, said, you've got to get up. You've got to go. And, you know, people don't see that part. And so I want I want to understand that when, when I feel those pressures, when I feel like I don't want to go, when I feel like I don't want to face one more problem, everybody's been there before. 
And so I think as leaders, we need to get the full picture of leadership, not just the highlight reel. And, you know, a book or looking at, at a resume, that's a highlight reel. Look at the real thing of what's going on. That's why I like what you do in your podcast, because you're really examining both sides of that in leadership to understand, you know, it, this, this, if this was easy, everybody would do it. It's not easy. And, and, you know, you've got to be able to persevere through the hard times in order to enjoy those successes. And I think those are probably, you know, again, if you put it in terms of vices, there's a tendency during those hard times to want to bail. Uh, I think all of us feel that way at times. We'll just, we'll just quit. And unfortunately, the society's gotten to that point and people do bail on jobs. They bail on churches, they bail on marriages, they bail on lots of things. And that's a shame. When you persevere and press through those hard times, that's when we grow the most. And so, you know, that's what I've tried to do through my life is to make sure when things got tough, I really focused even more and stayed with it and found a way through. And uh, it helps to have a, a terrific wife who uh, is not only your greatest support, but, but also will talk straight to you. And um, part of the problem with leaders is we don't have people to talk straight to us. People will tell us yes. I don't want to be told yes. I don't, I don't want, I mean, my team doesn't do that. And I'm thankful for that. I want them to be straight with me, but nobody will talk as straight to you as your wife. If you'll encourage that or uh, for women who are leaders or husband, get that person or persons around you who will talk straight to you and, uh, and, and not let you gloss over anything. And Mary Lou has been that to me through, through all my life. And it makes all the difference in the world. Well, Roger, you're a wildly inspiring guy. How can, uh, how can we follow you? Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not big on being followed, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, opportunityleadership.com is the website for the book. Uh, for the university, it's Bellhaven with one L, B-E-L-H-A-V-E-N, bellhaven.edu for education. And uh, great opportunities there for traditional students, for people who want to get a better job, for people who want to get a doctorate or master's. Um, you know, um, we've got great I just believe education ought to be delivered in the way people need it, not the way schools want to give it. And so we try to provide education that really is preparing students for the real world in which they live. And I love it when I've got single moms who come back and get their degree or, or dads who get a master's and say, I did this because I want my kids to be proud. Uh, and that's, that's as good as it gets. Mm. Well, uh, Roger, can you uh, close us out in prayer and specifically, I want you to go after in prayer, just break this, break this quitting spirit off of us, um, break egos off of us, and also pour out the wisdom and anointing that God has given to you onto our audience today. Mm, yeah, let me pray for us. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for this uh, wonderful work that Chris does in getting this message out. And we don't know who will hear this today, but you have put somebody um at the end of this podcast to hear it, who needed just this message today. And so if that's one person or if that's 10 or if that's hundreds, we trust you uh, for that. And we pray that uh, this might uh, time might give them encouragement to trust you more deeply, 
to uh, to uh, follow you more clearly and to walk each day uh, in hand with you, uh, realizing that you love them more than they love themselves. And I pray that you would especially give us a spirit of, uh, of courage and a spirit of uh, persistence and a spirit of, uh, of uh, calling a mission, because that's what you showed. When you came to this earth, you didn't come simply to teach. You came as on a mission to die for us and our sins and to, and to redeem us. And uh, you would not be wavered from that, no matter how difficult it became. And so our calling and our difficulties are minuscule and compared to all that you faced. And in that, we know you can lift us up. You can give us strength. You can give us direction that we don't think we know where to find it. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the joy to have this discussion together. And we pray you will bless and honor it and use it to your glory. Your name we ask it. Amen. So, Roger, as you were just praying, what uh, the image that I was just getting is I feel like the Lord was showing me this gigantic uh, birthday present. And I feel like the reason why is because I feel like, well, two things. One, I feel like the Lord is saying that specifically like leadership, like opportunity leadership in this book that you wrote, this is a huge, huge gift to leaders all over the world to be able to pull open that box and say, you know what, it's two things that like you, as you were speaking about this book that really just hit me on the heart was one, that it's not about us, that it's about our Lord. And by being able to literally lean on him for our strategies and the opportunities and knowing that he's a good father that's going to provide for us is just you just expect big presence and big blessings. But then the second thing, Roger, that I feel like the Lord was saying is that like you, Roger, you, my friend, you are a blessing to mankind by the way you've been able to have the courage to lean into God. And to allow him to work in this world through your heart in the many different ways that you allow Jesus to lead. So mm. uh, I just bless you with that, friend. And wow. uh, yeah, just was so excited that you could be on the Virtuous Heroes podcast. And uh, yeah, I just I want to thank everyone for for watching us on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership and teaching people to be their best selves in everything that they do. And uh, many blessings to you, Roger, and to uh, everyone for being here today with us. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Chris. God bless. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.